founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Laura Spaulding, CEO of Spaulding Decon Industries, Inc., Laura got her start as a police officer slash narcotics detective in Kansas City. Since being a police officer, Laura has been involved in the world of biohazard cleanup since 2011, where she founded Spirit Environmental Services, which disposed of medical waste. Fast forward to when Spalding Decon was founded. Spalding Decon specializes in decontamination services. It is the first nationally franchised decontamination service to offer crime scene, hoarding, and meth lab cleanup. Ranked at an impressive 784 on the Inc. 5000 list, Spalding Decon is one of the fastest growing companies. We are so pumped to host Laura on the podcast, so let's get right into it. Laura, thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me, Drew. I told you in the in the in our pre-conversation, I am really looking forward to this. One, because you seem great, but <laughs> two, because this might be the most unique business that I didn't even know existed. So I am really fascinated at my first question, which is tell me, how in the world did we get into this kind of line of work? Yeah, you know, it was, uh, when I look back on it, it was kind of crazy how it all happened. So uh, right out of college, I got into law enforcement because that's what I thought that I wanted to do. And um, I had a ton of fun uh, starting out. You know, it was very exciting. I was in uh, Kansas City, Missouri area. It's very high crime, uh, a very big department. At the time, it was uh, 1,300 officers. So there was a lot of opportunity for for mobility uh, to different units. Um, 18 months into the job, I uh, went to street narcotics undercover, and uh, I was the only female in the unit. Wow. And, uh, you know, uh, it was one of those moments where you're, I was in my kind of mid-20s at the time, and I thought, you know, like most people in their mid twenties, that you're kind of indestructible and uh, you take a lot of chances that you normally wouldn't take uh, when you're my age now. You know, that was 20 years ago. Uh, so you, I really kind of started to reflect on it from the narcotic standpoint. I was, you know, putting my life at risk here, uh, buying narcotics, trying to bust people, and we were not even making a dent in the situation. So. Mm. You know, I started to question, like, what am I doing here? Uh, this is this this problem will never go away. Uh, no matter how hard I work or we work, it'll never change the situation. So I really kind of had a different uh, view on it uh, than I did when I first started. You, it how, really makes you kind of look at things. How long into that in that working in your narcotics unit did you feel that way? It was probably six months in. Wow. Yeah, I was six months in and, you know, uh, you're, it changes your whole life. Uh, you're, you're constantly looking over your shoulder. Uh, you're creating a persona that's not you uh, in mm. order to survive. Um, you know, you're going into crack houses with no gun, no wire, no backup, no nothing. Um, and just taking extreme chances that, you know, you probably wouldn't take if you're my age now. Um, and all that for less than $40,000 a year, which, you know, it's like a come to Jesus moment. Like, why the hell am I doing this? It's yeah. making not only no difference in my community, uh, but I'm literally risking my life for nothing. Wow. I hate to keep pausing, but I, I kind of want to do that with your story versus other stories I've listened to because it's <laughs> there's so many interesting things I've never had someone on the other side involved with. But in your perspective, why wasn't it making a dent? Well, because you'll never stop the drug trade. Uh, it's a supply and demand issue, and there's always going to be a demand for it. You're never going to eradicate it. You're never going to get rid of it. Um, now there's, you know, there's so many drugs that are man-made now. It, it's not something that, you know, needs to be grown or, you know, it, sure. no matter how many DEA agents you hire, how many people in narcotics, you will literally never put a dent in the drug trade and it's, it's becoming pointless. It's almost like, you know, my personal opinion is kind of, we need to redirect this. You're never going to get rid of it. Uh, why not just legalize it and regulate the crap out of it? Yeah, man. Just from me listening to other podcasts, I'm hearing more and more reputable people from DEA, from drug enforcement yeah. kind of thing saying the same thing, which 
I know it's got to be hard as the American listener to wrap their minds around because it's like, what do you mean legalize it, you know? Um, but it's obvious that the war, taking a war on drugs, has not been working. And so no, and it's got to be open to other things. And if the American public knew how much money was spent on it, and you're not even making a dent, uh, it, mm. it's really, you, we should put our money elsewhere where, where we can actually do some good. Yeah. Uh, because you're never going to get rid of it. There's a supply and demand issue that's never going to go away. Yeah, treat treat the root of stuff. Like exactly. how do we actually help people not be dependent on drugs exactly. or look for it in the first place and just instead of stopping them from trying to get it, right? Exactly. Okay, so fast forward from there, you start to realize, man, is this really for me? I don't yeah. know. Can, where, where do we go next? So, you know, at that point, I realized um, I was tired of kind of living paycheck to paycheck kind of questioning what I was doing. And I realized, man, I really have no transferable skills into another line of work. You know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't going to be desirable in any other line of work. So um, I went back to school and got my MBA at night. And uh, while I was working, went, went back to patrol to be able to do that. So I was about 18 months in narcotics, went back to patrol, was able to kind of uh, get my MBA in a couple of years, hoping that this would kind of open some doors for me because I had nothing else. Yeah. Um, what, kind of M- what kind of MBA were you getting? It was a, just a general business, business degree. Yeah, just general business. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a private school near where I live that was willing to kind of work with my crappy hours, you know, cool. that were all over the place. So anyway, I met a lot of people there and uh, I realized, you know, I, I want to start my own business, uh, but I didn't quite know in what at that time. So, you know, I was kind of getting frustrated. It was like a year I'm thinking about it and I'm like, well, you know, nothing's really coming to me. There was really no passion for anything. And then one night I was working a homicide and, um, the, uh, lady came up to me and said, when are you guys coming back to clean this up? And it was like one of those moments that it just smacked me in the face and we just kind of stared at each other. And I didn't know what to say because I didn't know the answer. And she was looking at me like, what time are you guys coming back? <laughs> and I was like, we don't do that. She thought the cops did it. And I was like, no one's ever asked me that before. So I said, we don't do that. And then I started asking questions like homicide, CSI, forensics. Hey, who does that? And they're all like, I don't know. Wow. And I said, really? Like these people have to clean this up themselves? So I was like, this can't be right. Like that, how horrible is that to have to clean up after your you know, family or whatever? So I started looking into it and I kept getting the same answers. Like nobody knew. So I'm like, listen, there's a niche here. And uh, I started, you know, kind of doing more research and I found a company that did it in Dallas, Texas at the time I was in Kansas city. So I, I called him and I said, um, do you by chance train people on how to do this? And he said, yeah, I do. And so I used my only week of vacation, the very little money that I had. And I flew out there and I got training and I knew I was like, this is it. This is definitely it for me. Wow. Okay. So apart from the business sense that went off in you, which is, Hey, there's an under, there's an underserved problem. Yes. So that's a, that's an obvious business indicator Yep. at the personal level. What did, what was resonating with you when you're like, Hey, I think I found it here. Well, at that point, you know, I was seven years in law enforcement and I knew that I was very, um, I don't want to say jaded, but just really kind of not bothered by these things anymore when you see something every single day, you know, Kansas city is a very high crime city. Sure. Uh, there's a shooting at least once a day. So when I'm seeing this constantly, um, it doesn't bother me. And to go in there and clean this up, it was like, you know, I'll just learn the proper techniques, the chemicals and all that stuff to do it. And not only am I, you know, creating a niche here, but I'm also satisfying the fact that they're not going to have to do this. Yeah. Because how horrible is that? I can't oh, imagine worst. having to do that after like my son or, you know, a family member or something. So uh, it, it was almost like, you know, the two things married one another. The niche was there. I knew I could do it. And she was basically saying, everyone was saying, there was, there's no one doing this. Please help us type thing. Dang. Yeah. It, it was one of those aha moments. That's that a big aha. Out. Yeah. Yeah. So after you get the training... Mm-hmm. Where, what do you do? Where do you start? Well, <laughs> f- 
funny as it was, so I, I went to this training and there was probably, you know, 10, 12 other people in there. And I met these, these two guys that also lived in the Midwest in the Oklahoma area. And, you know, we quickly became friends. I was a cop. They worked in nursing and they tell me, um, you know, they were farther along in the process. They said, oh, we, we went to the bank and just got an SBA loan. And I said, really? He said, yeah, they gave us like $150,000 to start our business. And I'm like, that's amazing. I said, because I don't basically have a pot to piss in at the time. I didn't <laughs> yeah. have anything. Yeah. I used the only $2,500 that I had is to pay for this class. And uh, so here I am, you know, thinking, oh man, I've got a plan. I go home from training. I walk into my bank and I'm like, hey, I want this SBA loan for $150,000. And they're like, yeah, no. <laughs> and I was like, but wait, he got it. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, no. So I literally went to four different banks and they all were like, no. So I called him up and I said, hey, remember me? And he's like, yeah. And I said, they're telling me basically to go fly a kite. And he's like, are you serious? And it was that moment that I realized you know, I was always in a very male dominated career and, yeah. uh, it's, it's not uncommon for women to be, um, placed in different positions or not be promoted in certain areas. And I thought, holy crap, it's the same in business Wow! because we compared notes and we were literally making the exact same income. Neither of us had any debt whatsoever. So there was no reason they should have declined me. And, uh, he, yeah. And he just kept telling me, he's like, I don't get it. He's like, I, I just walked in and got it. And it was like an aha moment for both of us. And I thought, you know, I can let this crash me or I can figure it out. And, you Call know, it. I had, I had no family, you know, no rich uncle, nothing like that. So, um, you know, I bitched about it for about a week. And then I thought, you know what, I got an idea. So I went to a fifth bank and I walked in and I said, I need a home equity loan for new windows. They're like, sign the check right there. 15 grand. Oh. <laughs> you believe that? Holy crap. Yeah. So they signed the check and I used that 15 grand to start up my, my company, which is not a lot of money. I no. had really stretched the shit out of it. You got a 10th of what you're looking for. Oh yeah. A 10th of it. And I, I literally was printing my business cards in my, in my home office. They had the little shitty perforations on the end of them. Yeah. <laughs> Because I had to spend money on chemicals and equipment. I couldn't spend money on crap like that. Yeah. So who, oh God, first off, <laughs> that makes me so pissed. Yeah. That, I can't believe when you hear something like that, you're like, oh, yep, it still is happening. Yeah. Um. So thank you for that education. That sucks. It uh, is. It's still happening. And, you know, here I am 15 years later, still never had a business loan. And it's not been for a lack no. of trying. Can you believe that? Not been for a lack of trying. That is so stupid. Well, yeah, it's you're crazy. showing them. You're showing them. Uh, yeah. One day they're gonna be coming to you for a loan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no shit, right? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I saw this. Um, I saw this interview with uh, Tom Hanks, and he was, I think, he was on Good Morning America, and behind him was a Bubba Gump uh, uh, food place oh, based yeah. off of his character in the movie, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, he said, "Can I tell you something about that place real quick?" And they were like, "Yeah." And he goes, uh, 20 years ago, I was going to that to a bank that was there. That used to be a bank. And I was cashing my unemployment checks, trying to get $40. And he said, I wish I could have told them then when they made me feel like shit, that 20 years later, they'd be out of business in a, in a restaurant that was based off of my movie was going to be in there. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Isn't that crazy? Oh, you should just send your awards, send the Inc. 5000 list number yeah. uh, to them. Just so you know, here's what you passed up on. You suck. Well, you know, I kept in contact with those guys that I met in class. And about, uh, I would say it's probably been about eight years ago, he gave me a call and he said, you know what? They should have given you that loan and not me. He goes, we're folding. No. Yeah. And I was like, are you serious? And he's like, yeah, I can't do it. Wow. Okay. So let's fast forward. Well, not even fast forward. Let's take the next part of the of the story. Yeah. So the you next step, fifteen thousand. Yeah, I got who, the fifteen thousand. Who's your client? Like, who are you going to? <laughs> well, since I had no money and only fifteen thousand, I literally went door to door to uh, hotels, property managers, funeral homes, and sold myself as as the I was the only employee. So I was literally working. Uh, our my shifts changed, and then okay. when I wasn't working, I was marketing or trying to do cleanups. 
Wow. So you were saying, let's say to a hotel, what's the service you're providing? If a, if a crime happens, we ca- well, call no, us? Or? It's typically a blood issue, um, okay. whether it be a suicide, an accident. You know, a lot of stuff happens in hotels, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm your girl. Just call me and I'll be here 24-7 type thing. Wow. So yeah. how long from the time you started door-to-door pitching yourself to the first call that said, we actually need your services. How long was that? And what was that first call? It was probably a month to six weeks. And the first one, uh, was intense. It was a double homicide on Christmas day. Oh yeah. So, uh, at a hotel No. damn, it was was at a, a house. And, um, I guess the two cousins, like, you know, family all gather for Christmas holidays I guess there was an argument between two cousins and they decided to shoot each other. And, uh, it was intense because, you know, it was in a kitchen and there was, you know, spatter everywhere. Ceramic tile had to be removed. And again, I'm the only person, this was before YouTube. And I'm like, how do you take out tile again? (laughs) You know, it was one of those things. Yeah. So, uh, I didn't, I'm not very handy. I had to learn as I go. And then I quickly learned that, I needed to hire someone that knew all that stuff. And then I could teach them what I knew and he or she could teach them what I, what I didn't know. And yeah. then that was kind of the perfect marriage. So, okay. So from there, you started realizing where there might be some, some specialties that you could bring together and delegate some of the work. Is that well, right? construction. So I, because I wasn't handy and I didn't know this was before YouTube. Yeah. yeah. Um, I had to have someone teach me. So one of the um, police officers that I worked with was like, hey, I'll, I'll clean up on the side if I'm not working with you type thing. And I'm like, okay. So he taught me a little bit about, you know, how to use saws and how to do this and that. And then, you know, kind of as I went, I got more uh, proficient at all this stuff. Uh, and now I'm the one teaching it. <laughs> Go figure, right? Full circle. Wow. <laughs> so you weren't just doing cleaning jobs. You were also having to do repair. Yeah. So at that time, this was, you know, 2005, I was actually subcontracting the built, we call it build back or the put back. So I would take away everything, whether it be drywall, carpet, whatever, that was damaged and full of blood or matter. And then I would subcontract somebody to come back in and put it all back together because that was beyond anything I could do at that time. Now we do that, you know, in house. Wow. Okay. So how long, how long was it? before you started to feel like this is really going to work? So um, when I was going door to door, uh, 2005, 2006, I quickly realized, man, I don't have any sales skills. I need to learn some sales skills. So what I decided to do was um, I quit my job at that point, quit the law enforcement job. And I thought I'm going to get a sales job and I'm going to learn how to sell. And then I'll transfer that education into my own business. So I picked a um, medical sales company because I knew it was hyper competitive. And if I could learn how to sell something like that within a giant market with like a lot of big sharks in there, then I could easily sell my niche service and it worked. So I I got hired and um, relocated myself to Florida where I'm from anyway, and uh, was working as a medical capital equipment salesperson in a very tiny company competing against like Johnson and Johnson and Kimberly Clark and all these big fish. And I thought, wow, if I can learn this, then I'll be good to go. So my first year I got, you know, salesperson of the year. And I thought, man, I'm on a roll here. So I kept doing both things side by side. And I did that for two years and I, I quit in 2008 when my business started to grow and I didn't think it was fair to my employer to take that much time from them. So I I wanted to be fair. So I left that position and then I've been on my own ever since in 2008. Wow. All right. I want to, I want to ask a few questions around what you learned in sales (laughs) for so many entrepreneurs, they find themselves in the same place, which is they might be overly qualified in the service they're trying to provide, but then they find out like, well, crap, I've got to get people to actually buy this from me. And I don't have a sales team yet. I don't have all these experts. Like I've got to go make the pitch. I've got to, you know, figure out how to have the conversation that leads to an actual deal that makes me money and that kind of stuff. We've had to learn that. So I run a coaching business 
where you do people development, leadership development, that kind of thing. And I found the same issue. Like I'm great at coaching. I am shit for sales because yeah. that is not a mode I've ever been in. So I had to go on a learning journey for that as well. What were some of the key things you took away personally that got you better at sales? Well, let me start out by saying it was a very steep climb for me because coming from law enforcement, I am automatically very um, suspicious and uh, I don't make relationships for that reason because mm. you try to keep some separation. I had to do a 180 because sales is 100% relationships. Yeah. So I had to kind of let my guard down there and I quickly realized it's not so much what I'm selling, it's me. I'm selling me. Um, and if, you know, if who I'm selling to likes me better, even if I'm priced a little bit higher, I'm still going to get it. Yeah. And uh, so that's what I did. I started focusing on relationships and uh, just little things like remembering their kids' names. Yeah. Um, anniversaries, like, um, you know, how's your day? I, I, you were sick last week, you know, just little things like that. Um, being a human being and not a robot yeah, right. is essentially what it is. And, yeah. you know, uh, it, I, I absolutely detest um, that hardcore sales, you know, I can't stand it. Jam it down I would throat. never do that because I don't like that. And yeah. I think people kind of appreciate that you're a human being, you're treating them like a human being. And if you're honest, if you can meet their needs, say you can. But if you can't, for Christ's sakes, don't lie about it. Just yeah. say you can't do it. Yep. And they trust you more after that. And if they ever exactly. do need you, they'll come back to you. Exactly. So it, it was a steep climb for me. But, uh, yeah. you know, it, I, it was one of the best experiences that I think I did. I would have never learned what I, what I know without it. Wow. And I'm grateful that they gave me that opportunity. How did you, man, this, this is always on my mind. How, <laughs> how did you balance the energy, the energy expenditure that working both those jobs was requiring of you and the stress of both those jobs? How did you do that? I was in survival mode. Uh, ever since I started, I walked into that bank and I took out that $15,000 loan. Like I, I had no debt before that. And it, it really like scared me to take yeah. on the debt. But I realized that I'm betting on myself and I, I won't let myself down. And if I had to uh, make concessions with my, with the way I lived, which I did, I made a sure. lot of, I had a roommate for a while when I moved to back to Florida to try to keep my expenses down. I paid myself $14,000 a year for the first couple years you know, all these things are normal kind of expectations when you're starting something from the ground up. Yeah. So I think kind of the ability to make sacrifices to see the greater goal of where you need to be. That was yeah. kind of the key for it for me. But staying in survival mode so long, were there ever days you woke up and you're just like, shit, can I do it again today? Like I've got this eight hour day and I've got four hours later that I'm doing this cleanup or something like that. Did you ever have those moments? You know, I had moments where I was exhausted. I definitely did. Uh, and I had no days off. And I, you know, I missed time with my friends and things like that. But I kept my focus. I've always had kind of extreme focus on what mm -hmm. I wanted to do. And uh, for me, I can skip going to the beach. I can, you know, skip going to the movies or a Memorial Day party to go clean up a double homicide because that is going to get me to my end goal. So yeah, you make sacrifices. I mean, I think every entrepreneur does. Oh yeah. Well, the ones that work out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no doubt. The, the ones that actually their, their entrepreneurial idea turned into a real company. Well, uh, and that's the thing. I mean, my why was greater than any of those other times. I could yeah. easily say, sorry guys, I can't do it because this is my why. This is where I'm going to be. And the guys that don't make it, their why just isn't strong enough. That's all that right. is. Yeah. Yeah, I heard it once said, don't remember who, I wish I could give him credit, but if you have a strong enough why, it can endure anyhow. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Okay. So if you find yourself quitting on things a lot, you got to figure out, do I not have a why or did I lose sight of what my why is? Do I need to reconnect with it? But that, that needs to be the driving force that keeps us 100%. Yep. So cool. Okay. So when did you start getting help? When did, when did it stop being a one, one person show and you started getting some, some first hires and a team around you kind of thing? So what I did is when I took the sales job, it required a lot of travel. So what I decided to do was uh, I needed a labor pool that had no need for 40 hours a week, essentially, 
because I was still new. I couldn't promise anything. I couldn't give anyone a set amount of hours. And I sure. certainly couldn't predict when these jobs were going to come in because they're all emergency based. So I thought, who is a be the best fit for that? And it was like, bing, stay at home moms. Yeah. Perfect. Right. Yeah. They're a they drop the kids off in the morning. They don't have to do anything until four or 5 PM when they pick them up. So I kind of put an ad for stay at home moms and you know, they've cleaned up poop before they've cleaned up say, everything. Yeah. yeah. Right. And they worked out absolutely perfect. So I had two stay at home moms uh, that, that helped me while I was traveling and out of town. And then I took nights, weekends and holidays. Wow. What was the, what was the energy boost you got from, from having, having help for the first time? Well, I remember like I was very concerned that they, they, they're kind of enamored with the whole true crime thing. And I thought, are these girls really going to be able to do it? One of them was actually a, I, I swear to God, a supermodel. She was a model. And I thought, <laughs> oh my God, is she really going to do this? And she came to the interview and she's like, listen, I'm a model, but I promise you I can do this. And I was like, okay. And she did, she did fantastic. So they were with me for a couple years. Uh, the one stay at home with mom was with me for five years. And then wow. the other one was with me for a couple of years and her modeling career kind of took off. Wow. What a unique background. For her. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> yeah. All the girls are afraid of getting their, their fingers dirty. And oh, she's like, guys, you don't know where I've been. One. Yeah. Not this That's one. Oh, that's so cool. It reminds me, of, we had a, uh, another friend on the podcast who started and is running a very successful, like, it's not a temp agency. They actually look for like uh, accountants, CFOs, things like that, that only need part-time work. Oh, so like, nice. like a fractional CFO for this company that doesn't want to hire a full CFO, but they need some of the functions. And that was her pool as well. Well, she was like, she started uh -huh. it as a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. And it was like, I know plenty of women who would love 15 to 30 hours a week of something they were, they either could be trained to do or were See? trained to do. Exactly. And now can do this in their leisure and it's built a whole company for. Her. Exactly. And these ladies didn't need the money. You know, they had their spouses were, were making plenty. So this was something that they enjoyed doing and they yeah. could do it as much as they want or as little as they wanted. You know, I could never get mad if they said, Oh, you know, we're, we're, we're out doing something or whatever. I'm like, okay, no problem. So I kind of started to get a pool of those people to give them a little bit of a break after a while. Um, and I had about five people kind of on a rotation at that point. Okay. Love it. So today, from at least what the research we did, <laughs> you guys have seemed like you specialize or focused in crime scene cleanup, hoarding, and meth labs. Why did those three become the primary focus? So crime scene was always the primary, obviously, because of my experience with sure. the, the victim. Um, now hoarding was almost happenstance, uh, because what happened was I got a call from a very large client who, which I didn't realize was a national client, uh, right when I started my company. And she said, I have a property here that is a massive hoard and I can't find anyone to clean it. And I thought, why not call a crime scene cleaner? They've seen it all. And me, you know, being naive, I said, whatever, I'll never say no to a job. And I said, okay, no problem. We'll take it without even seeing it. Right. So I go over there and I'm like, holy shit. Like it was, <laughs> it was massive, like three <laughs> floors of stuff with tunnels through the no. house. And I'm like, get through the mess. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh. Three floors, a basement and two stories. And I called them up and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And she's like, I told you it was bad. Man, it took us like a month to clean that thing up. Whoa. Yeah, it was intense. How so do you charge? now do you, we, do you we charge? are <laughs> you charge by the hour on something like that? Yeah. You... Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. And but you know, back then I didn't even know how to gauge uh dumpsters. You know, now I can walk into a room and go, yeah, that's gonna take a 40 yarder. But this, I was like, oh my God, how many dumpsters is it? And you know, it turned out being like 38 tons of garbage out oh of my. one house. And uh, I was telling the lady, and she was laughing at me, and she was like, that's your first one. And I was like, yeah, it is, but I, I'll never say no to another one if you get, and she kept giving them to me. And I was like, now I got better at them. Now we have a whole process and stuff on it. But man, that first one was brutal. Wow. Well, it's a huge, it's a huge <laughs> fire uh, hazard too, oh, right? Oh, huge, huge. Yeah. yeah. 
It's like kindling all throughout the house. Oh, totally. Interesting. And then, okay, how about meth lab? I mean, in my mind, it makes sense, similar to crime yeah. scene. Like there might be an explosion in a meth lab or there's sensitive chemicals that they've been using to make stuff after it gets busted. Is that what it is? Yeah. So, yeah. So basically, you know, uh, the manufacturing process for meth, you can buy everything at Walmart. And so individually, the chemicals are fine. It's when collectively you put them together to start cooking is what makes it hazardous to your health. And it was, um, I can't remember exactly how I got interested in meth labs. It, you know, I was knew it about it. Bad? From, well, no, this was way before. <laughs> this was 2006. Okay. Okay. So I remember in my undercover days, you know, we were buying meth from meth properties and I would come back to our unit and the, the SWAT team, which, which was specifically for narcotics, would dress differently for any other type of drug lab and meth. And I said, why do you guys wear a respirator and all this other stuff? And they're like, man, it's toxic. And I'm thinking, well, you're sending me in there to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are going in there, you know, fully suited. So I started doing some research on it and I'm like, oh my God, like this is a pandemic, this, this meth, it's everywhere. And what's worse is only 23 states regulate it. So I'm thinking, I'm in Missouri at the time and I'm thinking, oh my God, people are living in former meth labs and they have no idea. There's no disclosure. There's nothing. That's where, that's where it got born. So I started looking and researching a school and I found one in Denver, Colorado, and they had strict regulations. And I went over there and I said, I don't understand it. Why, why is this not a federal issue? And they couldn't understand it either. And they're like, people are living in former meth labs. They're getting sick. And, you know, their kids are getting sick. Uh, dogs oh, are licking the carpet and dying. I'm like, oh, my God, this is, this is bad. I got to, you know, I had to do something about it. Yeah. So then that was born. The meth wow. lab cleanup side of it was born. <laughs> It is so cool to see how a use of your skill set, so like a practical thing that you've been taught to do that has a business, like a real business case, mixes with something that you can find purpose and meaning in. Yeah. That's an awesome combination. Yeah, um, definitely. So I'm curious now, if we fast forward, just even for the listeners of story time, What's the company look like now? Is there five people? Is there 50 people? Are we local? Well, it's very different. So fast yeah. forward to 2014. Okay. Um, and I got the bright idea to franchise the company. So 2016, we actually started franchising the company. We have 37 locations today uh, across the U.S. And they do all of the same services that I've kind of learned the hard way on is what I call it. You know, I've learned by making mistakes. I've, uh, you know, tweaked chemicals. I've learned what works, what doesn't work. Um, and now we have, you know, some fantastic franchise partners that share my passion for helping yeah. these people. Holy crap. You have 37 franchise locations. Yeah. Yeah. That's massive. I know it's exciting and it's stressful at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So is your much. primary is your primary job now just supporting the franchises or yes. okay. Well, it's um I, I do the teaching. I do a lot of the teaching. We have uh franchise business consultants that support them in the field. Um and then we have a franchise development team that that looks for people that that fit our brand and that are, you know, kind of on the same mentality as what we're looking for because obviously this is not, you know, a McDonald's or a Burger King. Sure. Um you have to be willing to help these people in their worst time of their lives. So it mm. takes a special type of person with empathy. Mm. What is, uh, how many people are directly responsible to you? Like there's so not that many. Uh, we're under 20. I think it's 18. Okay. Yeah. So there's 18 of you that are primarily in some way, shape or form helping the other franchise locations maybe driving brand recognition or sales opportunities, things like that as well? Yeah, we have a media arm as well that I created in 2019. And it that again came out of happenstance. I'd love to say that, you know, it just was an innovation of mine, but it wasn't. We were getting uh, contacted by reality shows in uh, Los Angeles mm. and they were, you know, sending crews down here and they wanted to do a reality show on what we do kind of day to day. 
And then at the end of the day, we were kind of getting rejected by the networks and they were all saying the same thing. We don't think uh, we love the content, but we don't think we can get sponsors for it. So they were more worried about the sponsorship side of it. So finally, I got kind of fed up with it after like four or five of them. And I decided, you know what, we're going to film our own show. Um, So I hired a videographer and an editor, graphic design, and we started doing kind of like, remember cops back in the day where they would go to different cities. So that's what we do. And we put it on YouTube and now we have over 40 million views. Holy crap. Yeah. It went viral. It went crazy. And now we get sponsorships from it and it's just insane. Now my video team goes to all 37 locations and films their awesome jobs. That's so cool. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah. Well, it makes sense because in my head, I was already thinking like, this sounds like a show I would see on TLC or something. Exactly. Right. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I want to take a deep dive into you for a minute, if you're cool with that. Sure. Just around you as a business owner, you as a human as well. Okay. Um, one of the things that fascinates me. So what I spend most, most days conversations outside of podcasts is what I would call performance coaching, right? Where I want to understand you as a person, the, the things that are driving you, what's getting in your way, you know, how could you be performing at a higher level, that kind of thing. It just fascinates me. Mm-hmm. Um, so for you, what would you say your unique ability is? And what I mean by unique ability is the thing that you, it's kind of the intersection of two things, what you're best at and what you most enjoy doing. Obviously, you're a renaissance person, like many founders. We can do a lot of things well. But what's the thing that when you're doing this, in life or in work that you're like, I come alive and I kick ass at it. I would say um, talking to franchise candidates and teaching, mm. teaching what the a- business and the platform. Cause I can speak from my own experiences and they love hearing, wow, this is the founder that's actually teaching us. This isn't some, somebody she hired to teach us. Yeah. yeah. So if you're, so, okay. So it sounds like if you're getting to relationally connect yeah. with these franchise owners, and you're getting to teach and communicate your passion, your wisdom. That's that's a huge ROI for you, both emotionally and probably for the business. Absolutely. How much of your time are you getting to do that ability versus other crap that you've just got to do as the business owner? Uh, quite a bit, because uh, you know when when they ha- like I just had a call about an hour ago. Um, we have a new franchise business consultant, so the franchisee knew that that particular consultant probably wasn't very adept at tear gas. So he called me and he said, Hey, I've got some questions about how to do this tear gas job. And so we chatted for a moment about it. And, um, I love that. And I'm sure he likes that too, because I can say, Hey, the last one I did this and this and this happened. Whereas the consultant probably couldn't have done that. Cause he's never yeah. done it. Yeah. Yeah. So well, it happens quite a bit. How did you get how, how did you get to that place? And the reason why I ask is often when I'm working with a founder, they'd say, here's my unique ability. I'd love to do more of it, but there's so many needs. I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing that, that I, I'm barely getting to do the thing I'm probably best at and most enjoy. And so we have to work through like, well, how are you going to delegate this? And yeah. you know, so how did you get to that place where you're saying, hey, actually, for the most part, I'm doing this? You know, when that was a financial thing. So, you know, at the beginning, I had to do a lot of stuff that I didn't like. Uh, And that's just kind of the way it is. But once we reached kind of, um, I think it was probably 2018, uh, we were financially able to start hiring people that were much better than me at certain aspects of the business. And that really elevated us and allowed me to focus on what I'm good at. Yeah. Um, unfortunately we're not fully staffed right now. And I find myself still kind of dipping back in to things that are, we have gaps in, but hopefully by the end of this year, we'll be able to fill those gaps. Awesome. Awesome. Super cool. Um, another question would be if we're taking a look at your unique abilities, what's on the other side of that? You know, so what I mean is what I've found is uh, alongside every brilliance is often some kind of weakness, Right. They're often two sides of the same coin. Someone's amazing at details and whatever. The other side is they might have a control issue or they're not good with big picture or something like that. For you, what would you say? Mm-hmm. I've learned this is my weakness. I've learned to, to delegate that or mitigate that in some way. You know, I would probably say uh, I'm so hyper-focused on my business that my personal relationships suffer because it. of it. Um, and I'm, I'm not good at... Um, realizing that 
until it slaps me in the face. You know, I need to make sure that I'm, that I'm spending enough time with the people in my life or, you know, uh, cause you never know when they're not going to be there anymore. Yeah. So if I'm hearing you right, it's so fun and purposeful and attractive that you can get your head down yeah. in that tunnel, that tunnel vision, like we were talking about mm-hmm. and not look up until something hits you like, Hey, so who's upset with me or yeah. died. Oh crap. I didn't spend enough time with them. Is that kind of what it is? Yeah, that's exactly it. Have you found anything yet that's helped you pick your head up more regularly or you kind of see, see that blind spot? It's uh, I know when I, when I feel confident in putting someone that's the right person in the right seat. Uh, I can let go of that and not have to worry about that. It frees up more time for me. And then I can kind of uh, put that time towards, you know, spending time with people or working on me in some way, or just kind of really getting stuff out of my head. You know, my head is so full constantly that it's, that it's difficult sometimes to unwind. Interesting. Let's talk about that. Cause that's another common business thing is like it never shuts off even if even if I'm away from it it's still in my brain I might be planning or thinking or responding to emails what are some things that have helped you unwind brain is it like a brain dump at the end of the day or uh I I don't know it's 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 physical it's exercise for me I've always been you know pretty physically fit um and I realized that when I was starting my business I sacrificed that and I started to get so focused on my business because I was terrified that I was just going to end up in extreme poverty that I just really stopped doing all the things that I was doing, you know, playing soccer, working out, running. And I, you know, two years later, I'm like, oh my God, I'm fat. I need to do something about this. You know, what yeah. the hell happened? Like, it was like, I didn't even realize it was me anymore. So, you know, I, I started to delegate almost like, a couple hours in my schedule every single day. Like I block it off and I'm like, I will do nothing but go to the gym during this time. And that's what worked for me. And then I, I can compartmentalize now. So huge. I had the same thing. So we're both former soccer players, but I went through a few years of being so laser focused and stressed that I let it slip. Didn't realize, I mean, I guess I knew I let it slip, but it just didn't pop up in terms of importance until I found myself for the first time, truly out of shape tired all the time yep and i just didn't like the way i felt and so it felt like this counterintuitive move yep that i had to trust that taking care of myself actually would improve my business and but it felt like a gamble at the time it's like wow wow, i'm scheduling an hour Mm -hmm. on my calendar to go do this when i could have been in a meeting or a sales call or whatever but my god did it change it changed everything it changed how effective i was when i was doing my work it helped me be more excited about the yep. day, knowing that I had recovered some or I had a break coming up. Yep. Um, I had a lot of guilt over guilt. it. Yes, exactly. Because yeah, I thought, can I really afford to spend, you know, two hours a day doing this when I should be focusing on my business? And I had to, you know, come to Jesus with myself. If I don't do this, I won't be around much longer because yep. I'm treating myself like garbage. Yes. You know, garbage in, garbage out. And every meal was like, you know, fast because I was in the middle of something else working 14 hour days. And it was just super, super unhealthy. And, you know, unfortunately, it took me longer than I would have liked it to just hit me in the face and realize it. But I'm just grateful that I'm on the right path now because it was destructive. Yeah, man, we've had we've had several founders on this podcast alone that have shared about stress related even illnesses oh yeah that they got into that was their wake-up call one founder in particular was starting to lose his eyesight oh my god and he went to the doctor and he's like what's going on and they they got to the bottom of it luckily and said you're having stress-related eye issues oh my god the only way you're going to recover is if you somehow change your relationship to your world yep and slowly his eyesight returned which was a huge thing for him we had another who had a, a back issue come out of nowhere that almost immobilized him for like a year. And same thing. He was like, it was stress. It's yeah. just I changed my lifestyle. Like I was so tense all the time. My muscles yeah. were so tense. Uh, I had another had gut issues. Yeah. Where he realized like his, his gut got all messed up from it. And it's like, man, it's so sad that it takes that for me as well. Yeah. To sometimes realize like, Hey, I'm robbing Peter to pay Paul. Yep. Like, and that debt is going to come back and bite you at some point. Right. That, that deficit yeah. is going to come back calling. 
And you're asking a lot of, you know, a lot from the people in your life, yeah. you know, for you to just be absent essentially uh, all the time. And it's just, it's not fair. Um, I got shingles when I was 30 years old. The doctor was yeah. like, what the hell? This is stress induced. <laughs> and you're like 30 years too young to be getting it. Yes. And I'm like, I didn't even know what shingles was at the time. I was 30. And she's like, you got to stop whatever you're doing. Yes. Yeah. I had multiple ulcers in yep. mid twenties and they were like, what is the deal? Like, I can't believe I'm prescribing you <laughs> anti ulcer medicine yeah. or whatever. You yeah, know, I was like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> it makes sense to me. I know why I have them. Right. Yeah. Oh God. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, what I think is challenging for people is the, the allure of the present problem, right? It's like, it's so there's, especially when you're doing your own thing and you're not just signing up for a paycheck, which they can have those troubles as well, mm -hmm. but you're so keenly aware of so much resting on your shoulders. Yeah. It's a huge burden. I yeah. mean, it, it, and it's a huge responsibility. Yeah. So it makes me think even now, like it's like we, we have, escalating or a series of new challenges and sometimes the same category. What does stress currently look like for you and how, how do you manage it at your stage, every new stage, even when it brings a blessing brings a new responsibility. So before the pressure was just you providing for the company. Now you're supporting 37 mm -hmm. locations that have bought into your vision, your, your business model. How do you handle that pressure? Uh, I don't know if I have the right answer to that. Um, well, that's not what I'm looking for. Yeah. Looking for I just mean, how, how you, how, even if it's not perfect, like, well, it's not, yeah, it's certainly not perfect, but you know, taking time for myself allows me to recharge and also to come up with innovative ideas that can make my franchise partners lives easier. Mm -hmm. Um, whether it be a technology idea or, um, a new hire that specializes in something that can help them somewhere. But if I don't have that time away from my office, I can't think outside the box. Yes. When I'm here, I'm bombarded with anything and everything that comes in. So I realized that in order for me to create, I have to be outside of my office. Yeah, super interesting. So the way that I'm hearing it is there's the working in the business and the working on the business. I didn't yeah. come up with that, obviously. Yeah. But it's just a frame of reference. Like the right. working in the business can be such a whirlwind that we don't even get a chance to see the bigger picture, the creative solutions, the, the forecasting the future accurately until you take these deliberate step aways. Yes. Step away could be in your calendar, mm -hmm. like blocking off an hour. It could be literally going away on a walk or yep. working from home for you. What, what have you found to be effective in terms of allowing you to work on the business and kind of escape that in the business whirlwind? So I try to work a couple days a week uh, at home because okay. then I can choose whether to answer that phone or not. Um, they can't just bombard in my office. So I, I try to do that. Again, the exercise for me has been crucial because yeah. it's really just kind of opened up my mind uh, a little more. And then, you know, kind of being more conscious about socializing, which I know in COVID has been, been difficult, but that's something that I never put any priority on. I never really cared one way or the other, uh, but it's something that I've got to do because uh, I know it, it'll make me better. Yeah, and it satisfies more the soul emotional parts of you yeah. that are that are going to be asked a lot of in your business, right? You're having yeah. to give a lot of heart to people, whether yeah. it's supporting them in their challenges or walking in and handling mm -hmm. a tough situation. It's like you need some kind of thing pouring back into you, right? Absolutely. Super cool. Um, Man, so for you, has there been any learning curve or challenges on the leading of the organization? Oh, right? absolutely. <laughs> what has that learning curve looked like? That you you went from wearing the hat of providing the service to the end consumer to now leading a team of almost 20 and the franchise. Like, what has that leader hat journey been like for you? You know, uh, we adopted uh, EOS. Uh, yes about, oh God, I think it was 2018. So not very long. Yeah. That's been a game changer for me because it allows me to check in with each branch and, and find out kind of what they're stuck on, what they need help with. And then I can kind of allocate my time towards that. But, you know, I, I would think the biggest struggle of mine has always been HR hiring, um, mm. has been the biggest struggle for me because that's something that I was never taught. 
um, it's something that it's, it's hard for me to quantify when you're talking to someone, you know, they're giving you their resume. Of course, they're putting their best foot forward, but do they really know the position that you're trying to put them in? Yeah. And that has always been the most difficult thing for me. And one that I've always kind of sought help on. Interesting. Have you found, have you found anything or still searching for something that helps you with that problem? We have. So um, we started using predictive index. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm only laughing because, so we are certified uh, EOS implementers and, oh, we okay. are, and we are predictive index partners. No way. That's yeah. awesome. Okay. <laughs> I, I just feel good that we found the right solutions because I, I love those. Yes. I love those as well. Yeah. So predictive index has been great for us. Um, you know, we've got two people here that are certified in it yeah. and, um, everyone has to take the test prior to being interviewed with me. And then they go over it with me, kind of the results on whether the person is a good brand fit or not, because ultimately that's what we hire for is the brand fit. You can teach anything else yeah. uh, to somebody if, as long as they're willing and able to do that. But the, finding the brand fit has been a struggle. Yes. Yeah. So just for anybody listening, that's wondering what the heck we're talking about. <laughs> EOS is the Entrepreneur Operating System developed by Gene, uh, Gino Wickman. Mm -hmm. uh, came out of a book called Traction. If you haven't read that, it's a great place to start. And it's just an awesome framework for driving clarity and rhythms for your business that really simplify things, make it more scalable, and I would say increase your, your effectiveness tenfold, you know. So that's EOS. I mean, it drives you to, to vision, to traction, to people, to data, to all these kind of critical yeah. elements of your business and helps you really approach it smartly. And then the second thing we're talking about is predictive index, which can get lumped in the same category as, as uh, personality assessments. And it's certainly got that backbone, but they have just done an amazing job of especially providing data and feedback into a software service that sounds like you're at least using for hiring. Oh, yeah. Do you guys use uh, the Inspire or the Design and any of those other elements as well? Yeah, we do. For the current staff, we're, we're using that. But we're in such a big hiring mode right now that, um, you know, they had us take kind of a test of what the ideal should be. And then when someone takes that test, it kind of puts them in a, in a score, so to speak, yep. right? A one to 10 type score. Yep. So the way they talk about it at, for partners like us and probably communicate to customers like you is that there's three things you're looking for when you're hiring somebody. It's the head, the heart, and the briefcase. Yep. And so the heart and the briefcase, you've got to find your own ways of filtering that. So heart would be values. Is this person a values fit? Do they fit our culture? Mm -hmm. The briefcase is their experience. And you've even said like, well, they can have a lack of experience because we can teach them that. Yeah. But the head is their behavioral drive. Yeah. And that's saying like them at their, their preferred style of work. Is that going to fit congruently with the things demanded of them? Or is that going to be draining them and kind of, you know, grinding their gears? And if you get that part right, you've got a really, you know, a higher chance of hiring the person that's going to stick around and really exceed, succeed in that business. And so that's what they use their assessment based off of you customizing what you think is required of that person. And then we can test for that. It's really, really beautiful. So Definitely check out the Predictive Index and definitely check out EOS uh, as a plug for what I do. You can always contact me and I'd be happy to help you. Yeah. Um, but man, that is super cool. Uh, I'd love to even talk offline more about the results. Yeah, absolutely. You're getting with that because it's fun to hear the use cases. Um, okay. Uh, last question and then we'll dive into the lightning round. Okay. Uh, we're getting close to our in, uh, time here. When you look at the whole journey, and I know we're you're in the middle of it still, but from... <laughs> start till now are there any kind of what i would call meta lessons not micro but like you know what over the years this lesson just keeps emerging is like a really important one for me as a business owner to never assume this or to whatever like does anything pop up has been like kind of a big lesson you've learned since undertaking this journey that might be helpful for somebody else to recognize as well or entertain yeah, probably uh, stop trying to figure everything out for myself and and ask other people for, mm. for advice and help that have either been through it before or are currently going through it. Um, I, I've always kind of um, kept to myself 
and that's really been kind of one of my downfalls. Uh, I could have probably allevi- alleviated a lot of, you know, problems or issues in the past if I would have just maybe reached out to someone and said, "Hey, has this ever happened to you? You know, what 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 can you do about it, or how do you do this, or how do you do that?" Yeah, yeah, super cool. Uh, love that advice. All right, let's dive in right now to the lightning round questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, number one. If you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would it be? You know, I think um, authenticity would, would be it. Um, we're, a, we're a culture here uh, that we want people to be their authentic selves. And I know that, you know, a lot of people, when they apply for jobs, they try to act and be someone that maybe they're not because they think that's what you want. And we don't want that at all. We just want you to be who you are. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I remember I was taking a leadership class uh, once and the dean at this class said something that stuck with me. She said, um, we hire for what you know, and we fire you for who you are. And that wow. stuck with me. You know, you can get a million people that know sure. the position you're hiring for, but are they authentic and are they, are they going to fit with your brand? So I think that's the most important thing. I love that. Beautiful. Number two, what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And also what was the worst? Oh boy. Um, the best advice I got was probably to franchise the company Mm. uh, back in 2014. The worst advice was, um, (laughs) Around 2016, we had hired a branding and marketing company, and the CEO was telling me to get away from social media because those people were not our customers. And uh, I wasted probably a couple years listening to him, and then we finally took it to you know YouTube, and it's been a massive growth for us, uh, a big stream of revenue, and it's, wow. really, it's really made made our brand uh, almost a household name at this point because of all the free media attention we got. So that was terrible advice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay, number three, what causes you the most worry or stress leading your organization right now? HR. <laughs> I know I keep saying that, but yeah. I, I, it's one of the things that I least enjoy. Um, and it's when we're growing on the pace that we're growing, it's constantly in my face that we need this position. We need another one. We need another one. And I feel like I'm, I'm on a, a hamster wheel and we, I can't even keep up with, with the amount of hires that we're trying to make. Is the stressful part just making the hire or is it the training, the onboarding? The- it's all of it. Gotcha. So not necessarily the, the compliance, the interviewing, the the picking the right person, the PI, the training, and then what if they don't work out? Man, we've wasted a ton of time. You know that type of thing. Yeah, got it. Okay, number four. What is your BHAG? Your big, hairy, audacious goal? You know, it's a. Uh, I'd like to start another franchise system, and that's. When I when it comes out of my mouth, I think I'm crazy and I want to slap myself, but because uh, it is a lot of work. But I, I'd yeah. like to do that if I can uh, get with the right partner. I, yeah. I think yeah, it's something that that we could uh, grow very very quickly and uh, very well. Love it. All right, number five is a break from the serious questions. It's <laughs> a creative question. If you could hop into a DeLorean, go back to the past, and tell yourself one thing out the driver's side window. When would you go back and what would it be? Oh boy. Um, I think I probably would go back to, oh man, there's so many. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to, uh, to really pinpoint one. Maybe go back to 2005 when I had the idea to start the company. <clears throat> and I would have uh, done more research and found kind of more help. Again, it was one of those things that I never reached out to anyone mm. uh, like, Hey, how can I do this? What's, you know, how can I learn these new skills? It was, I'm just going to do it on my own and figure it out as I go, which was probably yeah. big. Yeah. Super cool. 
Well, Laura, thank you so much for your time. This has been everything I knew it would be. Super, <laughs> super fascinating. You're about to have a new fan on YouTube. That's going to be oh, right me on. watching your show. I actually would love for you to tell our listeners where they can find it. What do we? Yeah, what do we it's for? on YouTube under Crime Scene Cleaning, and uh, you'll see it there. Spalding Decon. There's a channel there with hundreds of videos and. Uh, just a trigger warning. There's no censorship whatsoever. So if this type of thing bothers you, then it's probably not for you, but it's certainly interesting. And we give yeah. you plenty of stories behind the, the views. <laughs> awesome. And if they ever need you or your services or interested in being a franchise of yours one day, what do they do? Yeah, we have a toll-free line, 866-99-DECON and our website, spaldingdecon.com. Just click on the franchise button for more information. Awesome. That's it, my friend. Thank you for being on our podcast with us. Thank you, Drew. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.